Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 185 with my guest, Sarah Coffey. Sarah is a representative in the Vermont uh, State Legislature. She also was the founder and director of Vermont Performance Lab, where So Percussion met her uh, when she asked us to do a project in Vermont, uh, Brattleboro and Bellows Falls, Vermont, called Music for Trains. Uh, and then she helped to uh, help us workshop uh, our two other original projects, um, Where We Live and A Gun Show. Sarah is a big uh, advocate and community organizer in her local community in Guilford, Vermont. Um, but I think the lessons that she has learned and the things she talks about are things that clearly she's applying to politics now. Uh, and she's just a healthy voice that I wish we all could listen to on a daily basis. So without further ado, Sarah, excuse me, Representative Sarah Coffey. Um, all right, let's gavel this to order. Uh, Representative Sarah Coffey, it is. It feels very strange to say that. Not, I mean, strange in a good way, but like you know, I've known you for almost my entire adult life. It seems um, since I joined Soper. I don't. My adult life didn't start until I joined Soper Percussion. So, uh, 2006 is when I joined, and I feel like we met each other or crossed paths sh- shortly thereafter, maybe like a year later. Um, you, yeah, 2007, I think it was. Right. You were running an organization called Vermont Performance Lab, and uh, Soper Percussion was one of the artists in residence for a project called music for trains. And that's how we crossed paths. And at the time you were not, uh, uh, in the government, uh, the Vermont legislature, uh, but you are now representative Sarah coffee in the Vermont legislature. And we're not here to talk about music. That could be a whole nother an art and curation and arts and all of that stuff. Uh, I would love to pick your brain about that, but I reached out to you a couple of days to sort of, um, talk to you with my, like, I don't want to say concerned citizen hat, but uh, let's say uh, genuinely ignorant citizen hat in terms of how government works. I'm not asking for like how a bill is made, but like what, what I reached out to you a couple of days ago prior to Wednesday and then Wednesday hit and I was like, Oh man, what am I going to talk to Sarah about? Maybe this is even more important. Um, but I am very curious before we get into any of the meat and potatoes of what happened and sort of how we're all dealing with what happened the last couple of days. But can you just tell me a little bit, like, back up before Sarah Coffey, like you were curating art, music, different music productions. Dance is a big focus of yours as well. Um, can you back up a little bit? Just tell me a little bit of, like, baby Sarah Coffey, what got you into sort of that world, but then what pinballed you into politics? And then we can sort of go from there. Oh, well, good. Well, first, I want to say, Josh, it's great to be on your podcast. I've been very curious and interested in your podcast. And I think um, I actually don't think that the the work that we've done together um, in the performing arts is unrelated at all to this to this world of politics and mm. my work. So I think it's and in fact, for me, I think it's very my work and my reason for entering into um uh, electoral politics and to serve my community is very much related to what I was doing when I was running the arts organization Vermont Performance Lab. Um, and I have to say, you know, I remember meeting you and uh, your co- musical colleagues from So Percussion. Um, and at, in the summer, I, you guys were all fired up um, and were volunteering for um, Barack Obama's campaign in mm-hmm. various ways. Mm-hmm. And I remember being really excited uh, about that. And, you know, so artists, you know, it's always great. Artists are part of, are, you know, are part of the the process. You know, we're people. We, are, you know, the laws and 
investments that um, that legislators make and pass impact mm-hmm. all of us. And so, you know, when I was running Vermont Performance Lab, um, I thought of myself as much of a community organizer as I was a curator. And I often love to talk about our work as being at the, the intersection of creative art making and social practice or community engagement. Mm. And so when folks, artists often would, or community members would ask me like, how do you select the artists um, that you select? And I say, well, you know, I do this thing where I'm listening with both ears. I'm like listening to my community and I'm listening and paying attention to what artists are making and interested in and seeing if I can find connections or something that would be interesting, you know, an artist coming and doing their creative research in our community. What could they offer our community? What could our community offer them? And, you know, and, and then in that, that meeting space is where some of the magic happens and like the collaboration and community building and creative sparks. And I, I loved that work. Um, and, um, and I found it for me, it was, it really gave, it satisfied some things I love to do, which is I love, I love, I love art. I love the performing arts and I love community. So it really kind of blended these things together for me. You know, when I was, when I was come when I was a kid or when I was in school, you know, I was always, I was, I was, what was I, I was a, in junior high, I was on the student council. When I was uh, in high school, I was the treasurer of our class of, 725. This is all making more sense, Sarah. But I also, I also love to, throw, I was, our student council would, would put on the dances, right? So I really felt like there was always this kind of intersection between, you know, government or governance or council, like with people coming together. And, and so, and in college I was on, I served on um, the college had, we, uh, we had town meeting at my, at my college um, and that's Marlborough college. And that's why I live in Vermont. Cause I came into Vermont to go to school there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marlborough was, was run on town meeting and I served on the select board that, um, uh, and um, so all of those things kind of informed my, uh, you know, how I work and live. And, you know, for me, I am, and I'm saying this with like, I hope that other people will consider this because some people say like, well, can artists do this? Can arts organizers do this? I think we're like the perfect people to serve, um, to, to, to serve in the legislature because it's all about, it's a big, besides the fact that it's a big performance, <laughs> it's all about rebuilding, especially the, I would say, especially folks who work in the collaborative arts, it's all about building relationships and working together and collaborating and working with um, people who have different skills, who have different viewpoints than us to do. Honestly, like we go, we all in Vermont, and I think this must, even though it might be hard to believe this week, (laughs) but like, I think we all go in Vermont. I feel like my colleagues come from 251 different, they represent 251 communities. We come together because we want to do the right thing and we want to do the best thing for our communities. And so to me, a lot of that work is very similar to the work that I did with artists and with my community in Vermont mm. Performance Lab. So um, this opportunity kind of came my way, um, though. It was like definitely uh, when Trump was elected uh, in 2016, uh, 
it was a real wake up call for a lot of people. And that included me and, um, and figuring out what can I do? And, um, I went to DC and did some arts advocacy work in 2017, a few months in, and I saw it was pretty amazing to go and visit our, um, our senators and to watch the debate on the floor. And they were at the time, um, the Senate was um, essentially interviewing uh, Gorsuch for the Supreme court. Mm. And, you know, and, and then when I came home and I brought my, my then um, high school daughter and it was so interesting to do this with her because when you do that work with somebody like that you kind of translating your own experience um mm-hmm. and it was it was pretty powerful and um and so fast forward you know we had uh in my community we had had 18 years of conservative republicans representing us and um and a few people reached out to me because they got wind that that the person who was had was was currently representing us was possibly thinking about retiring. And, um, and so I thought, and so a few people asked me if I would consider running and, um, and that's what, that's what kind of opened the door. And I had to figure out, you know, um, how can I translate? You know, I didn't think, Oh yes, I can do that. But I figured if I'm going to do this, I better figure, I better like, I better train up or get tools or whatever. So I did some training um, with a, a program and we can talk about that, but the merge uh, program is a, a training program that um, helps prepare democratic women to run for office, everything from like the school board on up. And just democratic, just me, democratic women, or is it anyone who wants to play? No Democrats. Okay. It's about it's democratic women. Okay. And no boys. Uh, <laughs> are there similar oh. are there similar organizations if if a boy like myself wanted to run is there are there yeah, other those are the organizations that always exist that's like that's the, sarah like, doesn't like, we don't we all have equal access to everything what's wrong i you mean you do you do um so it's that was a joke uh, um, by the way you do no no it's like it's, that would be <laughs> there are and I, I should say there are these training programs that usually a, a, uh the democratic party in difference in every state mm-hmm. has training programs for, you know, Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's more historically, I think what's been um, traditionally what some people do. And then some people, you know, serve on their select boards or um, town councils, city councils, and, and then, and then it's a, uh, a natural next step for a lot of people. So, well, um, but that's how I got involved and I can, t- I, I could talk for a long time, but I want to like kind of get into some of the, yeah, some of the, Issues that like, you know, we just started, we just started um, our session on um, our first day back was on Wednesday. Um, and, um, and it's a ceremonial, this week is a ceremonial week. And normally we would be in the state house and in Vermont, we, um, our legislature has figured out how to convene remotely with uh, this on opening day uh, leadership was in the, was in the state house. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was done, you know, so we, started it was a great day we started um with the news from georgia mm-hmm. that um it was looking very promising that not just one but two seats had been flipped and um i'll have to say my daughter izzy who you know mm-hmm. since thanksgiving has been calling voters in georgia so it was a really awesome thing and then you know we had our very ceremonial uh uh even on zoom <laughs> you know swearing in and then um 
as I was going to the Vermont canvassing committee, I was a member, I was appointed to the canvassing committee, which is the equivalent on a state level we, we, that to what they were doing in Washington on the same day. And um, as we were going, heading into that, we were hearing about uh, what was going on in the U.S. Capitol, mm-hmm. that Trump supporters had stormed the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty unnerving. And also, we, we took a moment of silence uh, for our um, colleagues and all the staff and everybody who was working down there in the and and really also a moment of silence to in solidarity and hope that our country will be able to recover from this. So pardon the pitter patter of my dog. Sorry. <laughs> but so anyway, so it's it so what's you know, what was going on nationally really definitely filtered into our work. And I and we this week we passed a resolution um to to ask Congress to if the president doesn't resign to remove him from office. So, and it was passed by Democrats, Republicans, independents, and progressives. And this is via the, via the 25th amendment is what. We didn't specify the 25th amendment, but we just said remove him from office. So anyway, it's um, all of those things happened in in the last couple of days. Well, uh, as as you were talking, sorry to interrupt. I mean, as you were talking, this is, this leads me to, I I think a good sort of butting up or uh, a way for me to address, I think some of the things that, that worry me. Um, But I think it's related to like my time, my time, my exposure to the way you curated musicians. um, And I like, I like your term community organizer. I think that's gotten a bad rap because Obama's like, I'm a community organizer. And then everybody's like, Oh, you're a community organizer. It's like, okay, you don't actually know what that means and how hard that is. Um, and you were the first person I feel like I was able to put a finger on exactly what that looked like. Like I, I assumed Obama, like, I was like, okay, cool. I trust him that that's what he did, but I didn't know what it was, you know? And then I see you doing it. And the first time I, I feel like in our, our interactions where I felt like I, understood where the real friction came with community organizing was actually not with the first project we did called where we live, where we were in, involved with a lot of local artists. Um, we were talk, you know, uh, woodworkers, uh, a ceramicist who Wait, had, the first project was music for trains. Sorry, music. For, sorry. Yes. Music for trains. Um, but sorry, Sarah, God, I'm the worst music for trains. Um, imagine or, or where we live. And then, but, oh, sorry. Yes. But the, the one that really first sort of, pushed i think my comfort zone and so's comfort zone was a gun show and you helped us workshop that um and you set up meetings or you set up uh, a situation where myself ain gordon and eric chabich could go hunting with people from your community and we were doing a show about guns and you know very few of us had come from a culture where guns were a thing guns are much more of a thing in vermont than they are in say Rhode Island, maybe I'm, that's a bit of a broad brush, but gun culture in Vermont hunting is a, is more of a thing there than it is, you know, uh, other places. And I met a cop who we had a very intense discussion with. Uh, and I was a, I was like two feet away from a hunter for like eight hours as we sort of sat in the woods in the freezing cold. And every once in a while we'd have a discussion and we talked about, uh, the NRA, we talked about all these things. And it was like the, f- this feels stupid to say, but it was the first time I was like, Oh, these people aren't crazy. Like, you mean you mean you hunt, you own all these guns, you're ex-military, and you're not in the NRA? T- 
talk to me like I'm two. I don't understand you. Like, I don't know. That doesn't exist in my, in, in the world that I traffic in on a daily basis. I say that just to ask, I want to ask you now that you're in government and, um, I want to push back a little bit on this, this sense that like organizing art is the same as it is as organizing a government or trying to get people to vote one way or another or agree or just even have a conversation. I am curious how you navigate the world of what's happening now where you have you are you you represent Republicans and Democrats and libertarians and independents and atheists and other people all over the map. You don't get to just walk in a room and say, "We're doing a gun show." Hope it's cool. Like, this is a different thing. You're talking about people's quality of water, the air they drink, like all of these things. How have you felt, if at all, have you noticed it there? What were the things that have surprised you about politics that have been different from, say, working with artists and dealing with things in a, on a very local local level like that, where you're making a project come to life? Like, I have to imagine that's different. And we've had a few sidebar conversations where where you know anyway i don't know i'm not forming well, my, my question no it, it, it is different i guess yeah. i would say there's some skill sets that are that are similar um okay. All right. while you were not a diva artist i've worked with some more challenging <laughs> artists you Jason. know Jason. but also <laughs> dave yeah dave or ain you know i'm just kidding um uh, but really um i think one of the things that we do i mean first of all it, it's vermont so it, I represent 4,000 people, which is a lot less than uh, what, you know, what uh, representatives in Congress, right? You know, the numbers of people that they mm-hmm. represent. But what, so what I, ha- so I really, when I drive around my two towns, I feel like I'm represent like these 4,000 souls are my mm-hmm. responsibility. And the first, the first two years, I felt very, very much so that way. And, you know, in order to get to this position, I had to, it's a beautiful process um, where you have to knock on doors. I knocked on doors and connected with many, 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 I think 1600 people over the summer and into the fall. And so, and it was, and I did it in a way that made sense in my community. Now my community has, it's true, a diversity of people, not just like not, you know, not just Republicans, independents and progressives, but actually people who are really complex. And what I learned when I knocked on those doors is that people are not, not, you cannot put them in a box. Like, you know, they don't fit neatly into a box. They, you know, uh, I remember having a conversation with one guy um, who um, his son answered the door and was a little startled and, and he came out and he was really a gun supporter. And then, but then the more we talked the more we realized that actually he was a, he wanted to, he was a big second rights supporter and he was challenging me on where I would stand on those issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, and in Vermont, we had some, uh, we had some real movement um, on some gun bills where historically there hadn't been movement. And it it was before I entered in to the session and it happened because there was a, an attack, a thwarted attack that was planned for a school, a, a shooting in a school. Mm-hmm. And that just galvanized everybody and, and they, and people moved on this. And so when we talked about children and safety, you know, we found this common ground in his driveway, you know, it started out really heated. And then we, you know, I listened and I listened and I talked. And so having those conversations and then, you know, and I said to him, I said, you know, we're not, I don't think we're going to agree on everything, but I think, I hope you'll know I'll listen to you and I will take in 
what you, your opinions. Um, and I, when I'm faced with the, the testimony and decisions, I'll be thinking about our conversations. And so, and, you know, he, he was very, he it was very cordial. And then later in the session, when we did deal with some gun issues, um, we had this exchange and then he, and, and it, and, and he said, thank you, because we'd built kind of a relationship in his driveway that day. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult taking all those conversations, but all, and, and, um, and mashing them together. Uh, but what I've learned is also that I'm not going to agree with everybody all the time on everything. And, you know, my district is known as a very challenging district because I have people who are the original hippies and then people who are like all the way over on the other end um, who are very like Trump supporters or whites, you know, very cons or conservatives, but there are a lot of people in the middle. And I think it's a real challenge. It's a challenging district. And I like the challenge because I feel like this district keeps me on my toes um, and in a way keeps me honest, but I always am very, authentic and truthful about where I'm coming from. And I found in the last two and a half years, I've served, I just, I finished up two terms, but you know, over the last two years, I think people will respect me, even if they don't agree with me all the time, but they know that um, somehow that they can, I hope that they know that they can trust me, that I'll kind of be straight with them. So, you know, I, it's, I've seen how in our little community of Guilford, um, how we have been able to bring people together across differences to come and find that common ground. Like whether it's like we have a, we're trying to figure out our school budget or we have a fluvial flood ordinance and we need to figure out issues around zoning, mm. or we are trying to rebuild our beloved Grange halls, things like that. So I think having for me, it was, I don't know what I would do if, you know, the, if I hadn't had this very kind of grassroots experience doing this and building that common ground and trust, it is very similar to the work we have to do in the legislature. And, you know, we do it in the committee room, like a lot of the, 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 the fanfare or the attention and spotlight is on what we do when it comes to being on the floor. But mm -hmm. in that committee room is where <clears throat> we're what we call like where the sausage is made. And that's like we have Republicans and Democrats together on those committees and we get to know each other and, and you'll hear, like, you'll hear folks who will, who've been serving, whether it's in Congress or in a state legislature, you know, you build relationships with people um, and so you do some of your best work with people who come from another party. Well, can I ask and you, real, so, sorry, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. Can I ask you real quick? I mean, the, I'm a little jealous of the fact that you get to have such a grassroots. I mean, not that knocking on 1600 doors is a small feat. I've, I, no, but it's not three hundred thousand, right? Yeah, no, but uh, but I think if we're looking at like a like a small sample size of like the ideal way people would talk about politics are face to face. In my in my opinion, that's the only place you can read intent. It's the, like if you were having that conversation with this person on social media, on Twitter or Facebook, you would have zero idea whether this person was raging mad, like actually, or whether they were just testing you. And it's like you being face to face with them, you can sort of read the room well enough. How does someone like myself, 
or what advice do you have for somebody like myself where I, I don't have that particular thing? And I think most people digest politics on social media. Now, I, I think we can both agree maybe that's not the wisest thing to do. But if that's your only access to other people who you disagree with, how do you have that conversation? I have never once had a conversation on social media and since 2006 when I joined Facebook. I was like one of the first people to join Facebook because I was at Yale and it was only in the Ivy League schools. Like I've never, A, been convinced to change my opinion on Facebook ever. No one has ever changed my mind. I've never changed anybody's mind. And no matter how in-depth the comment thread gets, no one learns anything. Well, or changes yeah, their opinion in any really real manifested way. And I'm very curious, like, what, where, how do you navigate social media, I guess, is the question. Because you have to do that, too, I imagine. You do. You do. I, you know, I think you're absolutely right. In person and in face is where you can build those relationships. And I have to say, you know, we're legislating remotely. We're starting a new session remotely. And um I was just elevated to be the vice chair of a committee and my chair who's been in the serving for a long time and myself, like it's a real, she's nervous and we're nervous about, you know, we're going to, and we're going to, we're, what we're doing is leaning in and making extra effort to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. But that's in the committee room. I think what you're talking about is, you know, people who have different political, like how, how do you, like, I feel pretty lucky that I get to have this platform where that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're being invited and mm-hmm. asked to do by our constituents. So it's a real privilege to have that as your, as your job, you know? Um, and so I think that um, I know for myself with social media, it's people, we, I do have to participate in it. I, I, the way I think about it is I'm sharing information about my values and the work that I'm doing. And I usually will say to people, I, I, I do not engage in a back and forth debate. I pick up the phone or say, Hey, can we have a, a, a conversation um, to talk more or have an email conversation mm-hmm. um, is not always ideal, <clears throat> but it's like, it's about having a back and forth and an engagement. And part of it is, I think, um, I mean, I have to say, like, I, I don't resolve, not everything is resolved, you know, like where we walk away saying, oh, that was great. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, but I, yeah. you know, and I, and I would be lying to say that I haven't been on the receiving end of some really nasty stuff. You know, like when I first ran, I was running against a, a young man who played dirty and um, was uh, like a young, like he veiled his, um, some of his opinions and values and it, and he like, he went through and trolled my personal social media page um, to try to find things. And I'm kind of a goody two shoes. So there wasn't that much there, Um, (laughs) but it was creepy, you know, like it was, it was, so I, so, and I like, so I always try to find ways to come together with people, um, that are not my own circle. Cause also that's the other part of social media. You, you build, you can create an echo chamber unless, I mean, I know you, cause I know you, Josh, like you have friends who you have family and, and people in your life who are not all of the same political mm-hmm. disposition that you are. And, and that's unusual. But I, so I think a lot of people were talking to ourselves, like, and when you going back to 
what you said about that your project, a gun show. I think one of the things that was interesting to me, we'd worked on a few projects already together. We had established trust. I trusted you with people in my community too. I don't know if I would have done that straight off the bat, you know? And so it, it, but, but it's because we had done that and because we, I knew that you'd be respectful to people in my community who might have a different point of view than you and that you'd listen. And so I really think that it's really similar. So much of this work is about being empathic and, um, and listening. And I think social media doesn't really allow for that. And I do think a lot about, you know, folks, uh, I don't like to be called a politician, but I am a politician. <laughs> I, I, you know, somebody said that to me, you're just a politician. You're doing, and I, and I, I respond to him. I said, well, you know, I'm really doing this to be a strong voice for our community. And, um, and that really kind of just changed it, the dynamic. I think for folks like who live in, you know, have their representatives represent more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it might be harder to connect. I think that that is a challenge. And I, um, and I, I'm hoping, and maybe I'm an optimist, but I do think that people are more, I mean, don't you know much more about like how, <laughs> how Congress operates, how uh, Supreme Court judges are nominated? I mean, we have all the, we've all learned so much more about how the three branches of government work and, um, and people are more engaged. So I think that's a positive thing. How we, how we, I think you're asking kind of this larger existential question that was like, how do we heal this divide? Um, I think I, I think that, yeah. And I, there's not, I don't have a good set of words to ask that question, but it's the, let me, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I, I think one of the things that scares me about, politics is like i grew up in a household where you know my mom was like we don't talk about religion or politics i was like okay i didn't understand why and then i get older i'm like oh that's why this is like there's abortion tied to religion and politics is woven in with that and in nobody's mind or very few people's minds are changed and i had raging arguments with my father i grew up in a rush limbaugh household like um but he's my dad like i love my dad like i'm never gonna i'm never gonna cancel my dad because somebody found out he might have voted for Trump, you know, but the, now that I'm in the field I'm in and I grew up in the sort of culture that I grew up in, to me, there's been some dissonance there. And this last June, um, I think when, when George Floyd was murdered and there were all the, then the protests broke out, I was horrified by the way my own community talked about it. I was horrified by the way, just the nature of the discourse. Um, and tell me more, like what were you horrified by in your community um, meaning, meaning your music uh, the, the, Just the or? new music community that I like, you know, like stuff shut down in March. And then like two months later, there's this like national event where everybody in the country and in the world is like chiming in on something. And so I'm still, I'm closest to my new music community. And I, I think I expected a little bit more thoughtfulness and nuance out of, Things like seeing, you know, there was a, a picture, there was a, a piano store in Philadelphia, I think, that got looted. And somebody knew the owners of the, and posted a picture of like, oh, man, my friend's piano store. And they got lit up. Like, how dare you question these? Pro- like, and I just stepped back and I, I'm going to be honest, Sarah, I was afraid. I did not say I didn't stand up for what I believed in because I was afraid of my colleagues. Not necessarily so, but like my larger music community colleagues, I was afraid of losing my job. 
I was afraid of standing up and saying, you know, I actually don't think burning cars is the healthiest solution. I can empathize. I can understand or at least try to pretend what the anger would feel like because I am white. I've, but I work in enough black communities with the steel band world where I get it. But it wasn't them who I was afraid of. It was my white friends. Mm-hmm. And that fear to me is like, I don't, if I'm afraid to, to voice my opinion of like, you know, and so like then the stuff happens on Wednesday and I'm of course outraged and I say stuff. And then I, frustratingly to me, I get comments of like, where were you in June? Now, there's a moral equivalency here being drawn between the protesters in June and the protesters on Wednesday that I do not agree with fundamentally, but they're not wrong. I didn't speak up against violence and pro and burning of, of buildings and things like that in June. I did now. Why was I afraid? And, and, or maybe it's not your answer. That's not your problem to answer, but like, how do we move forward if like good people are genuinely terrified of saying anything for fear of their own friends and their own colleagues and losing their job? Like I'm, I'm getting called into, you know, I'm getting emails from places I work saying X, Y, and Z is what we're doing. And I can't, I just like, I don't know how to enter the equation. And it was really stifling and really frustrating for me personally, given that I came from a more conservative household. I don't know how to have this conversation and I don't, I feel like I, this is, you're the first person I'm really having it with. Um, well, we're living in a, a, a tough time. I mean, I think what you're talking about is cancel culture, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, where, um, where, and, and, and be living in Vermont, um, we're a very white state, like mm-hmm. I think second whitest in the, for, second or fourth whitest mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, and, there was a lot of allyship, you know, for, and, um, and support for Black Lives Matter. Um, and it was really exciting to see the support that came out for that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it galvanized us in the legislature, too. And it was exciting to see what happened. Um, and I know for myself, I'll just speak for myself, and I empathize because, you know, I think that there are some, 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 Folks, I, I mean, I've I've spoken with um, local um, leaders who are people of color, um, and they say, you know, oh, these white folks don't necessarily know how to support us, um, uh, and you know, they want to be the super. Some folks want to be like the super supporter, mm-hmm. you know, the perfect supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, this morning I was talking with my son about something kind of similar. Like, mm-hmm. if you weren't protesting enough like he's in high school you know if you're protesting enough like what does that mean about you and you know i've also he was asking that question or you were asking that question he was asking that question because he was being kind of accused like you know there were kids accused at his school kind of like calling people out for Mm -hmm. not being um uh, enough and i i do think it is incumbent on us um as as white people like we all have history like you know like but with uh you know like my family's all irish and we experienced a lot of uh um prejudice in boston you know my but but we don't experience it today you know and we are part we you know so i feel like i've been doing like a lot of it's been i've been doing a lot of listening i've been trying to i'm a member of a a number of groups but in the legislature it's called the social equity caucus Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know 
I've been slapped down a couple times, you know, um, even, and I've, I've also, um, sorry, my dog is wagging. I'm a big fan of Otis. It's okay. I love Otis. <laughs> um, hold on a second. Hold on. He's hungry. I'm going to have to feed him in a minute, but, um, he, um, I think that we really do have to, I think it's going to be messy for a while. That's why I, you know, and for me, I'm, I'm much more willing to kind of, I mean, since it's just, it's you and me here, like to take it from my friends of color or people of color, but like, I'm not as willing to take it from white people who are telling me I'm not being perfect enough, you know, cause I'm doing what I can do. And I'm also learning a tremendous amount. Um, and my own, you know, I, I thought, I thought that I, you know, like a lot of white progressives, you know, think that like, oh, I think I kind of understand it. I'm not a racist, you know, like, but then, you know, the more you do some work on yourself, you know, reading, participating in different groups, you realize you, when you look at the history in our country, it's just so clear um, that we're, that this country is built on slavery. Our economy is built on slavery. And uh, many of us um, have benefited from that. And it's a very hard thing to accept and our, you know, our white privilege. And I think that it's uncomfortable. Um, and I haven't had the position like, like I think you're alluding to that you're afraid of losing your job because of your whiteness, you know? Well, um, I w- I'm not afraid of losing my job because of my whiteness. I'm afraid of losing my job. Or yeah, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. Like, I don't know that I would necessarily lose my job, but I'm not going to pretend like I don't have terrible anxiety. And again, like I, to me, it's not coming from my hundreds and hundreds of, of like Caribbean people who I've worked with over the last decade, zero anxiety from that side of things. It's all coming from my white friends. And this, I only bring this up. White people are struggling with how to, how to do this. Right. But I feel like they're doing it in the most white way, which is making it all about themselves. And I, to me, I, I do bring it up not to sort of be woe is me because I'm a big boy. I can figure it out. Um, but I do think it leads to, I do think all of this approach does feed into the chasm that has formed between the left and the right. Um, I think Trump has had a huge wedge part of that. But the overarching discussion, like I'm having discussions on a daily basis that when I call people who live in Michigan, they're like, what? Like these aren't conversations that are happening nationwide on a like universal scale. These are oftentimes very localized, very. And so again, I'm not saying the conversation shouldn't happen. What I'm saying is, is they're not. And no one is really addressing that sort of like, no one's willing even even to accept the fact that somebody hasn't even heard about anti-racism. If they haven't heard about it, they're a racist and they're stupid and backwards and they better get with the program. And when I hear that argument and then I see what happens on Wednesday, I'm like, you're all surprised. You're surprised someone drove from Knoxville, Tennessee to do what happened on Wednesday after four years of being told they're completely backwards and they're completely idiotic. Now, Trump has had a huge part in that. I do not want to abdicate him of that, but I I just feel like I'm going crazy. I'm like, you guys are shutting down half the country and you can't pretend like that's going to help. 
and serve it serve black people in the long run, you know, or brown people. Like, I don't know. Well, I'm, we have to get a good dose of. I think before you can just automatically build coalitions, there has to be some breaking down mm-hmm. and smashing, you know. And I think that's what I think that's what where we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID has really exacerbated it. Yeah. So. People are on social media more. They're not together in person as much. And, and you know, there's a, people are hurting. I mean, there people are hurting and they're angry. Um, and, you know, for me, I just, I wish, I would like to actually have a conversation. I'm craving to have a conversation in person with some folks, like, who felt compelled to do what they did. Sometimes you don't want, I mean, I don't know. There's some people I know I'm never going to be able to, have a conversation with. And I, I think I, I feel the same way about people who um, are so far extreme on either end of the spectrum that they're just not willing to listen or have a conversation and to lean in and to say, what do you think we could do together? Um, but there's so much in the middle. There's so I, this is where I'm hopeful. There's so many people in the middle and who can lead. And then there are people who can bring some of those people into the middle. I mean, like, look at what we accomplished with this election. You know, we should really feel like, like we won back the, the presidency mm-hmm. and we won in Georgia. And it was about neighbors talking to neighbors. And I feel like that's kind of where it's at. Like, you know, it's like making music together. You like, you know, how cool is it that, you know, you get, you've gotten to know all these people by making music together, cooking together, you know, having your kids in school mm-hmm. together, all that kind of, you know, those spaces, you know, a lot of, the, for a lot of people, it's church, right? Like some mm-hmm. churches are the, you know, that's where they find community. So, you know, I, I've, I've made some clearer decisions though. I, I've, you know, those, those folks who were in the, um, uh, the videos that I saw of what was going on in Washington, DC, people storming into the, 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 our state Capitol, um, mm-hmm. in the way that they did reminded me of some people I see, I see who storm into the state house in Vermont, um, when we've had gun hearings, hearings mm-hmm. on gun rights. And, you know, for me, the, the first two years of those, ha- they have, they happened the first two years I was here and, um, the first, uh, I was only a legislator for a few months or a few weeks, actually. And I went and I listened because I thought, I want to listen to hear what they have to say. But those folks were threatening. They actually were very threatening. And then when they continued to come back, I thought, oh, my goodness, like, I, I don't know if I can hear what they're saying when they're being threatening. And for the same reason, like, it's, it makes it difficult. Doesn't it make it difficult when people tell you you're stupid or that you don't, like, you, you can't open your heart that way. And I think to do this work, and this is like some of the toughest work um, that we could do. I think we have to open our hearts in a Well, this is like, like seeing that, that poor, uh, I mean, I'm going to say she's a, that poor woman who was shot in the neck and was killed trying to climb through the window into the speaker's lobby. Um, I think there are people who hear me say poor woman and they're like, oh, poor woman, my butt, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen, she served in the Navy. I would, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not going to say she's an idiot. She believed in something. She believed in the president and that got her killed. Well, so, I, I, would ch- I would push back on you. A please little bit. do. They, they were break. I mean, what they did was, was wrong. If they had been people, if they had brown skin, they would have been, they, if they had been brown skin or black, 
there would have been a really different response. No, I, we no, know that. So I just, so 100%. I feel like, you know what, I, I want to have empathy for people, but I also don't want to excuse them. Just like I don't feel like people, I want people to have empathy for me when I'm being, like if I'm being misguided, but I think I would, I think it's important to also recognize when people are breaking the law one hundred doing something wrong, you yeah. know? So I'm an, I'm a hundred percent. Did she deserve to die? No, 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 no. Nobody that's, deserves to die. that's my point. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. And I posted on Facebook several times, like, you know, listen, if this were, there would, it would look like a North Korean military parade. If black lives matter was taken over that thing, like they'd have M six, you know, fighter jets overhead bombing the place. Like my point is, is that there's something in the U S body politic that convinced her and other people that their president was who they were going to fight for. But there was, there was nothing along the way that convinced this body of people that despite all the evidence that he was not on their side, actually four people were killed and he conceded. So if I was a revolutionary, I would look at that guy and I'd be like, what? And you're already starting to see a little bit on social media. People sort of be like, he's a coward and like, he's not a MAGA. But to me, I'm just so like, what, what has he tapped into that, that I don't think even Democrats with Obama were able to tap into that sort of deep, that deep loyalty. I think, I mean, if you look at some of the world, I'm not a, I'm not a historian, but um, if you look at some of the dictators throughout history, they're very charismatic people and they know how to tell a story and manipulate, you know, propaganda in the press. And, you know, of course we, you know, you know, we need the press, you know, we, we, I think a healthy democracy has a healthy, you know, press, but he's also was able to really manipulate, Mm -hmm. like really manipulate the press, but he's like, He's a celebrity, and I think in America, as as, as um, a, a something that's so fascinating is like our fascination with celebrity culture, and I think that there's something that is like I have to say, I find I I never, you know, Trump's celebrityness or celebrity dumb, you know, like it never appealed to me, but. Um, I've always found him kind of repulsive. I like lived and worked in New York for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, you know, the stories that I knew about Trump was like how he like always kind of swindled people and never mm-hmm. paid people. And so for me, it's, I don't, I'm with you, Josh, and that like, I don't really understand how the working person, like oh, the worker, like has been from this president but there's something i think that some people must see in him and it's being you know and and some some people are stoking fear you know it's a fill in the blank you know oh those those immigrants those jews are going to take my job away those um black people you know it's just like it's a stoking of it's not even necessarily always race it's a lot i mean to me some of the stuff is it could be those People from New York up here. It's, it's like those it's, New Yorkers. It's, cla- it's like I see very few people talk about classicism. And I feel like there's like, you know, where I grew up, I heard less about race and more about liberal elite institutions. That's class based. That's a class yeah. argument. And, and, I, and I would hear that, too, from my dad and his family. Yeah. I still hear it. Yeah. People still tell me I'm changed. I'm not who I used to be. And I'm like. 
what do you, I don't understand what you mean by that. Like I am who I am because of everything, because of the steel drums in my room, because I've been to Trinidad, you know, a dozen times. Like that's all of that stuff is who I am. I'm not any less of a Doverite, Dover, Ohio person than I am, than I was 25 years ago. Um, but I think it, to me, the biggest fear here I have around the Trumpism is, do you think that the Democrats could have an equal situation where there is somebody on the left who is so charismatic that they somehow rise to the top of electoral politics, which is a sort of, there's levels to the electoral politics. Once you get past level one, it doesn't matter what you do, you never have to go back to level zero. Like Trump managed to get to the top and it didn't matter what he did prior then when he's the only one there you have 75 million people have to vote for him because of abortion because of the because of the supreme court all of these things what happens when the democrats get a version of that do you think that the last five years would have convinced enough the other 80 million people who voted for joe biden to be like you know we saw this play before Maybe it's best. Maybe, maybe, maybe getting rid of the Second Amendment isn't as important as having a stable government or a stable national psyche. Do you think that? I, to me, I ask because I don't think so. I don't think Democrats are capable. I think we're the same. And this is the thing. Like I, I, I think I, I'm not saying this because I'm a Democrat, but I disagree because I don't actually think. I think a lot of Republicans don't think of. I think they don't think of Donald Trump as a Republican either. So, you know, I think, I think, uh, I really do think he has traits of a dictator and like, you know, this, what this coup d'etat, you know, um, uh, which is really, you know, sedition, coup you know, it's like, is, mm-hmm. that's what that is. And, you know, I think that the reason that we're able to, to elect, a, uh, to win the election is because of a, of a strong coalition building. And, you know, is, could there possibly, I'm not going to say what the future might hold with, but I, I, in terms of some, whether somebody from the democratic party or the progressive party um, could become this celebrity figure and, and, you know, kind of do what, what Donald Trump did, but there's something that I'm not, I guess I, I, I guess I'm, I've drunk the lemonade a little bit because I, I see how the, in our, in the, how you have to big a build build a big tent pitch a big tent to pull people in mm-hmm. to 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 get enough momentum uh, and bring enough people in under the tent to make a difference and I think I don't know how I think the Republicans have another version of doing that you know and today like you know you know the uh, Lincoln you know President Abraham Lincoln one of our most beloved presidents was also a Republican, you know, parties have a way of changing, you mm-hmm. know, cause they can change depending on the people who are participating in the part. In those That's the thing that stuff. always drives me so crazy when people are like, Hey, Republic or uh, Lincoln's freed the slaves. It's like, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we, I hear that a lot. He was too. a Republican. I'm a Republican. It's like, yeah. Okay. God, you don't know. Okay. Google the Southern strategy, Google Dixiecrats, Google Ronald Reagan. Like there's, there's three things. Google that. And then tell me about how you're, Republicans freed the slaves. Like <laughs> it's, I, we, I've heard that too. You know, I mean, I've heard it's doing this work really has popped my bubble. You know, mm-hmm. like I thought I had, I, I, I thought I, it's popped my bubble and made me also see that there's, you know, not everybody 
we're not all alike. (laughs) Thank, thank goodness. Right. That we're not all alike. Um, uh, And that we really like the best, the best, uh, at least in the policy world, which is the legislative world that I'm in is like the best policies come out when we all contribute to it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when we, when we find it and that's, and it's a, creative solutions. It's, you know, listening to each other. It doesn't necessarily mean coming into the center, but it means giving and taking. And, um, and I, you know, I guess I'm skirting your question. I I can't predict the future. I just think what we're going to see happen, I've already seen it um, in, in the way that Joe Biden is appointing Mm -hmm. um, members to his cabinet and making announcements. He's demonstrating Mm -hmm that he has been listening to people and he's ref- reflecting that back in the, the variety of people who he's appointing and being part of his team, which is decidedly different than what Donald Trump did I think by the- surrounding himself with yes men and not, and, and people who will tell him that he is doing no wrong. And, you know, thank goodness that we're going to have people like, I mean, people aren't even talking about like the security breach that happened, you know, that, that, know. that, you know, that happened not at the Capitol, but I'm talking about digitally, you know, that, um, that there's less press about that. I mean, so I'm, I'm hopeful. Is it going to be perfect? No, because it's not ever going to be perfect. Um, uh, and we're not going to be able to like suddenly shove through like all this. It's mm-hmm. maybe you can by one vote by, you know, Kamala Harris <laughs> breaking the vote, but That's not a sustainable thing either. It's not sustainable. And I think people who have been serving for a while are people who say like, you know, lasting change comes when you, you know, you bring people together. Like, so are you going to start on a gun bill or are you going to start on rural broadband? Rural broadband, right? Like, you know, I mean, just like Mm -hmm. there are things that are, that people can come gather around people in Vermont, Childcare, rural broadband are big issues. Are we going to address racial justice? Yeah, we're going to do that too. Um, and it, the conversations are more difficult online. But I think in this strange way um, that it's uh, this pandemic, at least in the spring and summer, um, you know, afforded people some time to actually get involved and reflect and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, say, we need to do something about this. I mean, many of the organizers were kind of like shocked. I mean, what happened, what happened in, in uh, May and then in the summer was not that it was, it was white allies coming out. Right. And, and that was kind of shocking to a lot of people Mm. to see that. And it's exciting. And it's also, we got to bring those people along and, you know, and we also, I'll say this as a white person, like I I'm looking to these leaders, like, BIPOC leaders that we're using these acronyms now, black indigenous people of color, right? Like, you know, and uh, you know, we have to, we have to do some listening and let them, you know, kind of come in and lead. Cause I'll even say for myself, like I, you know, I, I, sometimes I think I'm like, Oh, I know what a a racial equity lens would be like. And you know, it's like, I have to stop and shut up (laughs) and listen and, Mm. um, and get out of the way. And then, know how and when to come back in. And I think I've been thinking about it a lot um, because of the work that we're trying to do in Vermont. It's messy right now. It's heightened and it's messy. And I've seen it. There's a lot of um, energy going towards breaking things, Mm -hmm. like breaking institutions, smashing things. And I have to say it like hurts because I'm a person who... 
wants to build and build coalitions yes. and come together. And it's so okay. easy to break stuff, right, I, Josh? Like, yes. You know, so sorry, Sarah. This is the crux I think of for me why like why I'm afraid of things. It's like when people I have enough I have a ton of students. I have enough people in the music world who I see post things that are just like burn it all down. I'm like, are you going to be there with a hammer and nail the next day? I'll bet you won't. I'll bet you a hundred dollars you won't be there to put out the fire the next day. You know why? I haven't ever seen you build anything. And I'm not demanding that you do. All I'm asking is that you put the matches and the gasoline away because you're mad. Like that's not yeah, a, it's that's very not, emotional. It's not yeah, a mature approach to things. And when I look at people like Joe Biden, I, you know, yeah, do I agree with him on everything? No. But the first choice he made as president or the, nom- or the nominee for president was to choose the black woman who almost sunk his campaign single handedly. Yeah. You know, like the sign of his character, right? Like he was not my first choice as a president. I was kind of, I was kind of kicking and screaming at first. He was actually my first choice the whole way. Oh well, that's well, that's okay. (laughs) That's okay, Josh. I mean, but I think you know, it took, but it shows. Like, I think that we can change our minds. It doesn't Mm. mean that we give up on our principles, but Mm. can say, oh, this is what's needed for this moment for our country. You know, he, you know. To get into the, I mean, he has the respect of a lot of people. You know, like he's worked there a long time. Um, I'm hoping, you know, that we'll be able to. It's and it's going to be a really hard job because he's going to get pulled on either side. It's a very difficult um, thing. But I hope that, like, you know, if we look at what we've done, and like when I think about Vermont, it's interesting in Vermont. Like we, like, like really went for a, a, a democratic president, except for like two parts of the state. We resoundingly elected a Republican governor. And then we have like a patchwork of, of other, like a real diversity. Mm. So it's actually, to me, super interesting. Like what that mm. says, you know, we have we, a Republican governor won because he's done, he's done a really good job during the pandemic. He's been really reasonable. He's um, come out against Trump um, on a lot of things. And and the Republican Party in, in Vermont has also become more Trumpian. And so he is like working against, you know, like yeah. against his party and on some on some things. Mm-hmm. So to, I think, you know, Vermonters take a lot of pride in this kind of bipartisanship. And, you know, like this resolution, it's a, it's just words on paper, but it means a lot when Republicans, Democrats, progressives and independents in our state can sign on to something together, mm-hmm. you know, and quickly, you know, like we quickly did that. I mean, there were, we'll say there were 16 members who didn't. Um, but uh, it's, it gives me hope is that's all that's I have good. to say. Like I think it gives me hope. And I think, I think I'm hoping that the tenor will come, the vitriol will kind of simmer down. I think um, once this, once, uh, he leaves office. I don't think it's going to be over. I think there's a lot of harm and that needs to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I can only be hopeful because otherwise I would be very, very, very sad. Well, maybe that's why I'll be the sad part. I'm over here. I'll be, I'll be that your sad friend and then you can be hopeful and then you can, well, I'll, I'll <laughs> learn from, well, let me ask you one more question and then I'll let you go feed your dog. Um, and this is more of a, of a sort of hypothetical down the road for somebody like myself who, um, the prospects of getting into politics, you know, I've, I had somebody tell me the other day, they're like, Oh, you're, you know, you're really great at 
you know, having a conversation, you should join the local school board or you should join the city council. And I, my first reaction is I can't afford it. I don't have the time. I can't, I don't, I mean, let alone the fear I have of just like being lit on fire by my constituents. Like, um, what if, what, what advice do you have for someone like my, that's my age, um, or, or younger that, that wants to get into politics or maybe has, or is frustrated with politics and feels like I want to do something, but I, like, where, where do I start? You know, it's a great question. And I think part of it is like you, it's people, uh, I mean, if you did want to run for office, it's like some of the conventional wisdom is wisdom, which is like, get involved at the local level. If you can, you know, I got to say like the things that school boards decide are very, very, very important, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, cause it has an impact on our taxes too. Not only the, the education of our children, mm-hmm. which is more in my mind, more important, but, um, you know, uh, but it, you know, here, uh, we it's all volunteer pretty much here in Vermont with uh, at that level, you know, people might get a small stipend. So I hear what you're saying in terms of like, can you afford time to do it? Um, you know, we have that, we have a citizen legislature, which is part-time and, uh, you know, doesn't come with health insurance or days off. And, you know, we, in a normal year, we only are, um, we come to, we convene for 18 weeks from January to May, mm-hmm. but um so, but it's, it shows how that experience or opportunity is limited to people, you know, so like to people who, that's why there are a lot of older people um, because they're retired or um, there used to be a lot of farmers because it worked for their farming schedule. But anyway, I digress a little bit. You're, you're like, I think that find something that you love to do <laughs> and follow like that you love to do what it's, you know, I know that you, you play music, you know, like, and if you're looking for, vol- I mean, volunteer work, it's all, it's giving, but you, we all know that you receive when you get that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, to have another experience, I mean, you might decide that being involved in electoral politics is not where you want to be, mm-hmm. but you'd rather work with kids in an after school program, you know, mm-hmm. uh, once a week or something, or that you want to become part of an activist group that lobbies or is it, you know, working to lobby legislators for a particular issue. Um, I just know that like Vermont kind of runs on volunteer power Mm. and I, I kind of love that and hate it at the same time, but it is a way that we come together, you know? And um, so are you, I mean, I think you, I agree. I think you would be great on a school board. We need people like you with the, the, who care? I mean, if you care and you can get involved, it's great. Um, it's kind of, I feel like that's kind of what I had to do because there was this older conservative dude representing me. And I just was like, I don't think I want that anymore. So I had to kind of get out of my comfort zone and, 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 and do it. And some days I'll be honest, I wonder like, is this really what I should put <laughs> what I should be doing. There's some good days and bad days, but um, you know, when you do the other thing I think that you're alluding to is like how your life becomes public, you know, like how suddenly you, you move into the public realm. You become a, you become in the eyes of a lot of enough, enough people. You're a lizard person all of a sudden, like you become this thing that's in a different glass jar on the shelf that no one knows how you were made, where you came from. You may as well be an alien octopus. Like, 
Yeah, and but you I, can break through that. You can you can still be authentic. I know, but I know, but like people don't look at soap percussion and think like lizard people. They just may not like what we do. But like, there's a different category. Once you are a politician and you have a D or an R and I next to your name, people think of you differently, and they don't. They assume that there's just a lot of automatic assumptions that come, and it like I'm very that's it's very disheartening for someone on like myself on the outside who's like I think I want to help, and then you're like. I don't. I don't drink baby's blood under Central Park. Why are you saying that about me? I'm gonna go play drums. <laughs> you know, well, like, <laughs> it's a. I would say start small and like, yeah. but also like you know, for me when I ran, I didn't put a D after my name. I just oh, ran a Sarah Coffee. I don't think I realized I that. I didn't realize that about you. Yeah. So oh, I. Um, I mean, I on the ballot. I was on the Democratic ballot, but I I chose very deliberately to use like orange color when it helps that I have red hair. Right. So, but like, you know, I, I wanted people to vote for me, not for my party. Mm. And I wanted people to know that they're voting for me and my values. And, you know, like, and that I'm, I'm running as a Democrat because my, my values align very well with the values of the democratic party in the house of Vermont. Right. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's, but, but I wanted people to know, like, that I'm a person. So I think that there are these entrappings that we can all get trapped in and that Mm -hmm. we can project. I think what you're talking about is like how you feel that people can project onto you or how we project onto each other. Mm -hmm. And as much as we can kind of just arrive with our most authentic selves um, and invite that from other people, I, I, I believe that that's how we get through some of this and it's getting to know each other. Um, Well, Sarah, I, I want to be, I want to I want to let you go because I know your time's valuable here. Um, and I want to tell you that I was feeling guilty about this conversation the whole time, just feeling like I'm just making Sarah just tell me that I shouldn't jump off the roof. Like that's all I got here her here for. But I think we learned something, and I think I want to lobby you now as a member of the legislator who do, you don't represent me. So take this for what it's worth. I think there needs to be a law passed that all political ads are not allowed to reveal the party you are a member of. I think if you you just had to run on your ideas and you were never allowed to say, like, I think in in like England, I don't think you're allowed to advertise politics on like two weeks leading up to the election or something. It's illegal to run political ads. Now that we got to take take money out of politics. Right. I mean, it's because, you know, it's easy for me to say that in Vermont because like down here, there's like, there's not, there's just not that much of a media market in the Southern part. You know, like I had to go knock on doors and I'm so grateful that that's what I had to do. So, but instead um, of taking the money out, let's start with the easier thing. Let's just take the D's, the I's and the R's out. Like take that off the sign and then let's see how much the conversations change, how long it takes before someone's like, wait a minute, you're a Democrat. Wait a minute. Like if you didn't find out about that until you walked into the ballot booth. Do you honestly think people would be like, well, wait a minute. Well, now Sarah Coffey has. That's an interesting question. Because I, well, I, you know, that I think that's like a little bit of a stumper. Because I kind of like the, your idea. And then I'm going like, how would that work? <laughs> like how, that, you know, I don't know how that would work. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I kind of like, I mean, I think you find candidates who present themselves in different ways. I mean, hopefully people run on issues, not just by their party. But we know that that's not true all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um so, hmm, I'm, you know, I just, I just would love to see um, more people able to run for office that, that, that uh, 
and we're lucky in Vermont that we don't have to raise big money to run our campaigns. Mm -hmm. But I think removing some of the barriers, Mm -hmm. um, which is like providing people with health insurance and a a livable salary to, to serve in office, like in New Hampshire, do you know how much legislators make in New Hampshire? A hundred dollars a year. So who gets to do that work? Right. You know, so, and there are many other examples. So I just think like having more regular people or a variety of people who are able to serve would be more authentic representation. And, and also, you know, there's a, there's legislation that's been, um, you know, to, to, to put a cap on spending, but also to give candidates, national candidates money, right? Like Mm -hmm. that they have a equal pot of money. You know, I think to give people, the resources to get their word out at a national level. It's, it's crazy. How I've heard arguments can. around like, rather than doing UBI, universal basic income, giving everybody a hundred government bucks that they can give to any campaign they want. You yeah. I've heard stuff like that. You don't yeah. have to give it. You don't have to use it, but everybody in this country from the person greeting people at Walmart all the way up to you, you only get a hundred bucks. And that's yeah. what, and you can't contribute it. Like Sarah coffee, doesn't matter how much money you have. You can't give any more than that hundred dollars. And yeah. like that to me seems, I mean, whatever, I, I don't know really what I'm talking about, but that seems like a, a an interesting solution. But Sarah, I really appreciate your time. Well, it's great talking to you, Josh. I love it that you care so much. And I think that you would be great on that school board. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I will, I will, I will take that for what it's worth. And it's worth a lot to me that you say it. So Sarah, is there any, where can folks, if they listen to this and want to learn more about like the work you're doing and your committees and where, where they can learn about the work that you're doing in the legislature, where can they find you? Sure. So like I have a couple places, I have a website, uh, sarahcoffeevermont.com, but really the, the Vermont legislature has a great website. Um, and I have a Facebook page um, for, uh, uh, you know, Sarah coffee state rep, but, um, you know, it's, and, and if it'd be kind of cool, I would love to hear from people who might be listening. Um, and, uh, I just really want to encourage more people to think about getting engaged and involved. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Josh. And, uh, I hope that, um, folks will do it because we, we, you know, if we, we can be the change we want to see and, um, we, well, we can be part of the solution. I will take 51% responsibility of this collaboration, Sarah, just like I've taken that same percentage of everything else we've collaborated on. I just need you to poke me with a sharp stick every now and again and be like, where's that budget? Where's your stage plot? Whatever it is, you let me, you just keep Where's poking. your campaign plan? That's yeah, what I'm where's your campaign plan? Well, Sarah, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for your time. Be safe and stay healthy and please tell your family I love them. And, you too. Uh, so, I hope to chat yeah, soon. You take care too and keep, keep, keep playing music. Will do. Thank you, Sarah. I love you. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check them out, liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D U N L E A V Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on. So percussion, as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings on uh, in pan in Brooklyn.
Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at mango chow, C H O W clothing.com. Bunch of his shirts, they're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mango Chow Clothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.